And those here in this room, let's head over to Revelation 20. We are in Revelation 20. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's pretty dim, but we're getting there. Here's what we do. Here's just to see if you wake up. Name a popular color for a car. All I know is this, is I have to say to her several times, that's not our car, even though... You had to tell me that in the church parking lot the other day, yes. Yeah. Here we go. Dirty, blue, silver, gray, black, white. Uh, Name a state that gets snow really early compared to us. Here we go. Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, Colorado, and Alaska was number one. Name projects you do in the fall around your house. Leaves is going to be number one. Number two, three, four, five. Yeah, for some. Yeah, collect firewood. Didn't think about that, but that happened. Here we go. Cover plants, flower bulbs, and remove, caulk the windows, clean the furnace, clean out the gutters, clean the windows, and rake leaves. I don't do any of those but the raking leaves. Name a popular breed of dog. Besides Heinz 57, just the mixture. Okay. Okay, here's what the thing said. Rottweiler, Dachshund, Cocker Spaniel, Poodle, Bulldog, German Shepherd, and number one was the Golden Retriever. Besides worshipers, name something you see here in, an audit, in the church auditorium. I didn't put the preacher down in this one. Okay. Here's what they said. Collection plates or boxes, cross, Bibles and prayer books, pulpit, hymn books, musical instruments. Number one was pews. Ew, pew. Here we go. Revelation. We are lesson number 37. Here is a chart. By the way, I just mentioned to you quickly last week, there is a chart on the 70 weeks of Daniel. He did make a few copies, so you can help yourself if you want to take some of those. This one, um, this isn't the 70th week of Daniel, so I mis- uh, misheaded it. Uh, rapture of the church is the next event. Right after that is the Bema seat. That is our judgment taking place in heaven. Then, sometime after that, or within that time frame, Antichrist on earth will sign the treaty, begin that seven years of what we understand as tribulation. The first half, there's the seven seals, and then all of a sudden Satan's kicked out of heaven. He's forced to come to this earth. He empowers Antichrist to really establish himself as the world ruler. God responds with seven trumpet judgments, and then even at the very end, God responds with even more judgments directed directly at the kingdom. Then there's the battle of Armageddon, and then in heaven, there's an announcement the marriage of the Lamb is, is here, and at that time Jesus descends from heaven. And when he descends from heaven, then he establishes his millennial kingdom. There is a gap of time that I purposely put in this chart that's talked about in the book of Daniel that we want to talk about in just a minute. Hey, would somebody be so kind to stand up and just turn the fans down so that the people underneath don't get that breeze on them? Thank you. Uh, we are in that second coming of Christ. It's talked about in chapter 19. Towards the end of that chapter, uh, it gives us some details of when he comes, what he does. But let me remind you what happens when Jesus comes back. The world's armies are gathered together. They're there to, uh, to wipe out 
about the Jews. They uh, turn when Jesus comes back and they defend them. I'm sorry, they attack Jesus Christ because they want to defend their evil. And Jesus beats them really quickly. He just wipes out these human armies. What does he use? His words, okay? His tongue is the sword, of the, the sword that speaks. And uh, then he takes out the false prophet and antichrist. They are cast into the lake of fire. They're the first ones to go into that eternal place of death and damnation. Satan is bound, but he is put where? He doesn't go to the lake of fire. He goes to the bottomless pit where he's going to be cast in there for a period of time. And the angel is the one who binds him. Why is he removed? It says in, it says in Revelation 20, verse 1 and 2. So that the world is not what? Okay, yeah, the phrase is so that he can deceive the nations no more. Okay, so he's taken out of the way. He's imprisoned in the bottomless pit. But he is imprisoned for a thousand years. Jeff, you brought up, I think uh, it was you last Sunday, yay, that you brought up and said, hey, there's one phrase that caught Jeff's attention. At the end of verse 3, it says, and after that, Satan, what's your Bible read? Okay, is, do you have a verb there? He must be loosed for a, a little season. He must be loosed, which has great detail and indicates God has a plan with letting him go after the thousand years. And there's a reason for it. We're going to get into that, probably not today. Um, if, I, if I know myself, we won't get that far. So we just pause for a second. We didn't get into this last week. Just several facts that stand out. It's one thing for us to learn the scriptures and to get the detail. But we also want to walk away with something that helps us. And so we wanted to just mention several things. Here is a fact that stands out. Jesus will return. Yee-hoo! Okay, he's coming back. In other words, there's going to be an end to the evil in the world. So he's coming back. His words are extremely powerful, they're authoritative, and they're true. Okay? Even like he says in this passage, or indicates in the passage, when he speaks, he takes out armies. I find great consolation in the words that he says when he says, I will come and receive you unto myself. If it were not so, I would have... Yeah, so we can really depend upon him because of his words. When he comes back, he will come as a righteous judge. When we're in this Christmas season, how do most people see Jesus? Okay, the baby who is helpless, humbled. Okay, when he comes the second time, he's coming, he's not helpless. He's coming with, uh, can I throw in there with the word vengeance? to some degree, and he's coming back and he's going to judge all the people. Even though evil is real and powerful, Jesus is going to have the final victory. It will happen, okay? And so the, the idea is you and I better make sure that we are on that side that wins. Satan will have, uh, have victories for this seven years, but eventually it's going to be, he's going to be defeated. Though the unrighteous are in the, uh, in the majority, in the, in the majority and in authority now, would you agree with that? That the unrighteous are in authority right now? Okay. Uh, and especially in the future, that will be totally reversed. It is coming a day that he will reverse it. You and I think, why not do it? Yeah. So the question that we have is basically, why does he delay? Why is he delaying? Yeah, several of you are saying it. That we have to remember God is patient for a purpose. He is not willing that 
any should perish but that all should come to that point of repentance. And so God is delaying. How long he delays, we don't know. The stage seems to be set really clearly and the curtain call is ready to be made, but he's being patient for... And so you and I need to do our part in sharing that gospel because God, God's compassion. Um, here we go, one more. When he returns, he'll take his rightful place as ruler of creation. That is what he's going to do is he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. That's talked about throughout the Old Testament. That's what we want to talk about here in a moment. There is something else that we concluded that is going to happen. It's in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus returns. It is a judgment of people that we just ended up last week talking about and so if you hold your finger, I'm going to flip over to Matthew 25 and just remind you about this text and see how all the scriptures fit together in this whole pattern. He talks about that idea <clears throat> where he says, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory. I'm in verse 31. You can go back and you can see him talking about it all the way through Matthew 24, 25. Like in Matthew 24, verse 27. As lightning comes out of the east and shines to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. He talks about be ready at all times. Then he talks in verse 25 about the kingdom of God and what it's like. But anyway, back in verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in the glory and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him, who's going to be gathered? all the nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep and goats. He shall set the sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left, and so the sheep go into heaven, the goats end up in damnation, into hell that was prepared for the devil. Who are these people? Is this our judgment? No, we've already been judged. In fact, let me rephrase that. Our sin has already been judged. It's been removed. When we get to heaven, we're not going to be judged for whether or, or examined to see whether we go into heaven or not. We're already there. Okay. And so it's not a judgment of them. When it says all nations are gathered, that's not us. Who's the all nations that are going to be gathered together when he comes back at the very end of his, uh, at the very end of the tribulation? Yeah, that's right. It's going to be all the nations that are on the earth at that moment. Okay? And so he's going to gather those people, and we already know what he's doing with Antichrist and the false prophet and Satan, but he gathers those people who are still alive on earth at his second coming. That's who he's referring to in this text. And what he does is he's going to say, okay, I'm going to gather you, and now I'm going to determine which of you are going to go into my kingdom that I'm going to bring about here in the next whatever, and those of you who aren't going to be allowed in the kingdom. And the standard for being allowed in the kingdom is what? You must be born again. Otherwise you cannot see the kingdom or you cannot enter into the kingdom. So the standard is you have to be born again. How is it displayed if those people at the end of that time are truly born again or not? Yeah, exactly. Read through the rest of the passage, not necessarily right now, but make a note and say, what did they do when they saw Jesus hungry, um, in prison, etc., etc.? And they say, when did we see you? And he says, if you did it to the least of these. He's talking to the Jews. How did people respond to the Jews in that last uh, part of the tribulation? Were they helping them or were they harming them? 
Um, and so that's going to show whether they truly believed or didn't believe in regards to how they treated those people. And there's something else that happens at this time. In Revelation, we're flipping back to that passage, and I probably have, I think that's the wrong reference. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, it should be chapter 20. I'm sorry. Chapter 20 in Revelation. I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and the judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Christ and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither had his image, neither had received his mark. And in their hands, um, no, in, they hadn't received the mark in the foreheads or hands. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the end of the thousand years. This is the first resurrection. So there's going to be a group of people who are going to be resurrected so that they can go into the kingdom. Who's that group of people? who would be part of this first resurrection. And remind you, the first resurrection isn't a chronological idea as much as the first resurrection, it comes in several phases. We already got our, Jesus was the beginning of it. We get our resurrection bodies at the rapture. Now others are going to get the resurrection body and all of these individuals are part of the first resurrection of the blessed who go into the kingdom. Who are these people? Well, we already read in this text that it is specifically what people, for sure. Those who lived during the tribulation, but they were, they were martyred. Okay, so that's one of the groups that's going to be resurrected. <clears throat> Many of the people who died during that time. Is there any indication of another group of people? Or is this it? Us, the... Uh, the people who are considered the sheep and the tribulation saints. There's one major group of people that's not mentioned yet. The, all the Old Testament saints, all of the people, were they promised a participation in the kingdom? Well, what, what about them? Okay, so it's not specifically stated in this passage, but... It is specifically stated in other passages that they're resurrected before the kingdom is put in place. We get that from multiple different texts. And so I remind you that the first resurrection, Christ should be the first fruits of this resurrection. I should put that up. We are resurrected, the trib saints who are martyred. Then there has to also include the Old Testament saints who died, who would include like who? David. Elijah's body was already taken up in that, in that chariot. Um, Moses, uh, Joshua, Daniel. Okay, all these, all these saints that you're familiar with. And so some of the texts that help us out, let me just put them up there for a second time, that give us indication that they are going to be in the kingdom. So their resurrection has to happen before the kingdom starts as well. That's because we read in Daniel chapter 7, let's start there. The kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Who are those special people of that kingdom then? Who's he talking about? Who's going to be the special people group in the kingdom? It has to be the Jews. Aren't they the people of God? I mean, this is Old Testament. They are the people of God he's referring to. Yes? Does that mean, yes, no? You, you with that? 
Okay, so the people of God in this passage, remember Daniel is writing to the Jews, telling them the future of what's going to happen to the Jews with all the different kingdoms that are against them. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom in all dominions. But what he's talking about, they're going to be there, the saints that like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're going to be there. Okay? The kingdom is going to be given to them. And then Daniel, a little bit later, explains when. At that time shall Michael arise, the great prince who has charge of your people. Michael is a what being? He's an angel. His assignment is protecting what group, people group? The Jews. Okay. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. That's referring to what? The tribulation. Thank you. Okay. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. When are the Jews delivered at the end of the tribulation? Jesus comes back down from heaven. He arrives where? The Mount, Mount of Olives, the Mount splits. The people, the Jews, the remnant, one-third of the Jews left, will run to him out of Jerusalem, according to Zechariah 14, and your people shall be delivered. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall what? Okay, he's talking about the Old Testament saints, okay? Some to everlasting life and some are going to be put. So he's talking about future resurrections, resurrection of the damned, resurrection of the blessed, but I remind you, he doesn't have all the details. We're getting more details later that there's going to be a split or a gap in time between the first resurrection and the second resurrection. How do we know that? Well, he just says in Revelation 20. You just read it. He says in verse 6, Blessed is holy, and holy is he that has a part in the first resurrection, and said that on such the second death has no power. But he had mentioned in verse 5, The rest of the dead shall not rise until when? At the end of the millennium. Okay, it'll all blend as we keep on going through it. Ezekiel gives this prediction as well. Ezekiel talks about, Behold, I will open your graves, raise you out of your graves, O my people, Jews. I will bring you into the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord. I will open up your graves, raise you from your graves. He's talking to Jews that they who are believers are going to be a part of this kingdom that he's going to put them in their own land. And so if you follow the sequence of events and put, a, put the, the puzzle pieces together, we get raptured. Tribulation occurs. People are dying during that time. When Jesus comes back, he rescues a remnant of the Jews that are left, a third, who will believe in him. Then he puts say, uh, Satan's bound, Antichrist, um, false prophet. They're taken away. There's a judgment of the people who are alive on planet earth at that moment. The sheep who are the believers, still they go into the kingdom. The unbelievers, they go into hell. But there's also has to be a resurrection of those who died during the tribulation so that they can, believers, who died during the tribulation so they can be part of this kingdom. And there has to be a resurrection of the Old Testament saints who have been dead for hundreds of years so that they can physically go into the kingdom and enjoy what he's promised them. So you have these different phases of the resurrection, that the first resurrection that are taking place that, so that these people can go into the kingdom. And so what happens here is he's doing the preparation when he gets back. 
The preparation is mentioned in Daniel chapter 12, and it indicates that there's a gap of time between his coming and the establishing of his kingdom. In Daniel 12, that one you need to jump to, because there's something that happens in this passage that confuses a lot of people. I don't think it should confuse any of you, but it confuses a lot of people. We're in Daniel chapter 12, and I want you to catch what happens here. He is talking about the resurrection. We just read some words about that. In verse 1, at that time, Michael shall stand up. We just read about the people are going to experience a time of trouble, such as never was. The people shall be delivered. Go to verse 2. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to life, but some eventually to everlasting contempt. They that, are, that be wise shall shine as the brightness, etc., etc., etc. Go further into the text as he's talking. Down to verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that makes desolate. What is the abomination of desolation? Okay. When is it? It's the middle of the tribulation. It's when basically Antichrist desecrates the temple by saying he is God. So he enters the temple. That is at the middle of the tribulation. From that moment until the end of the tribulation, how long a time? Three and a half years, 42 months, or how many days? 1,260 days. We know that from other passages. Other texts have made that clear that I'll put up here in a second. But I want you to catch something here. From the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken, the abomination is made. There shall be a thousand two hundred ninety days. Blessed is he that waits and comes to. Oh, wait a minute. Now we get another number. Thirteen hundred thirty-five days. But go your way. Wait a minute. Now he's just screwed up all the dating. He's contradicted himself. The answer is no, he didn't. Don't, don't react that way, okay? Let's, do our, let's put this together. How many days from the middle of the trib to the end of the trib? Okay, 1,260 days. We've got that from several texts of scriptures that give us those specific de, uh, time frames. Okay, and that's from the middle of the trib until Jesus comes back, okay, to the end of the tribulation. Then Daniel says, but there's going to be 1,290 days. And then he says, blessed is he that is there at the 1,335th day. Well, from 1,260 to 1,335, how many days is that? I know this is tough. It's early morning. It's math. Okay. Some of you need to work on your math. Okay. <laughs> from 1,260 to 1335, okay, so we've got at first a 30-day mention, and then on top of that, another 45. So we have a total of 75 days that are mentioned. Why is God mentioning the 1290? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's their, their time specifically when their resurrection of the Jews is taking place. And all of the, the resurrection of the Old Testament saints, that's all in that 30 days. I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> Maybe it's, you know, I, I don't know. These are just guesstimates. But this much I do know, okay, is not that 1290 isn't what I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on 1335. 
1335 seems to be the day, the indication that from the abomination, 1335 days is the beginning of the millennium. The kingdom starts. The president king is inaugurated at that moment. So we have a 75-day gap period till the beginning of the kingdom. <clears throat> Something special in the first 30 days of it, I don't know. But what is going on during those 75 days? What could be going on during those 75 days? Okay, we just mentioned several of those things. Satan is bound. He's taken out. We have the sheep goat judgment. And with Satan Antichrist, the sheep goat judgment of all the nations that are gathered, uh, that have lived at that time. We could also have this idea that the resurrection of the Old Testament saints, their bodies are combined with their spirits, and they, as they participate in that first resurrection, we have to have a judgment that's going to take place because as Jesus told in the parables, before we enter the kingdom, there's got to be assignments given. And that has to include even the Old Testament saints that Jesus was preaching to. So there's going to be a, not a judgment of whether you go in, but what will be your job? What will be your assignment during that time? You know, because some will be told they can rule over five cities. Some are told they can rule over ten cities. Some, their talents are increased. Okay. Now, our rewards are, have been given out already, and we cast the crowns earlier. But maybe part of it is our assignments in the kingdom before the kingdom starts. We also know from Romans 8 that there's got to be a redemption, quote, resurrection of the earth. The earth itself has to be recovered. Has the earth suffered? Okay, so the earth's been devastated for the last, you know, seven years. With, you know, don't, don't count what we've done to the earth. But this, the last seven years, it's been decimated. So there's got to be a recovery of the earth because the earth is going to be a lot different in the kingdom than the way it was left by Antichrist and the false prophet. And so all these things seem to be, are happening in that 75-day period. It makes sense when you compare the scriptures, but don't react by saying there's a contradiction. There's just a gap of time that, uh, that by the way, you're thinking the same thing I'm thinking. How much time does God need to replenish the earth? Right? How much time does he need to resurrect the Old Testament saints? How much time does he need to, to distribute jobs? We all, know, we all know how quickly could it be done. Okay, but apparently there's a 75-day gap that's taking place that God has put in. Why has he done that? My answer, he's God. Okay, he's, what, how he chooses to do it, that, that's, that's his choice. So what do we know about the thousand-year kingdom that is mentioned in Revelation 20 <coughs> that gives us no detail? Why doesn't Revelation 20 give us detail of what the kingdom will be like? That? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Uh, do you think that, well... So is, is there any other information given about the kingdom? Where? Old Testament. So God doesn't take the time and space in Revelation 20 to give us all the details. What does he do? 
He just builds on some of the things you already should have known by studying in the Old Testament. So the, the kingdom that he's talking about, about I, 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 I need to do this. I know it, for some of you it's as boring as sitting through an entire sermon. Um, we're going to you know, bring it down. There is so much wrong teaching happening at this moment within this county about this. There are people that are being told right now that the kingdom that Jesus is, is talking about whenever he talks about a kingdom is in your heart. Now, is there an aspect that he has to be Lord and King of our hearts? There's a, there is that aspect, okay? But they say anywhere in Scripture where you think about it, where he speaks about a kingdom, it's a spiritual in-your-heart kingdom. It's not anything on earth, Okay. Then there are some who would teach this, that this spiritual kingdom is where we go when we die. It's nothing here on earth ever. It's heaven, you know, absent from by present with the Lord. And so whenever he talks about kingdom, he's only talking about going to heaven. Then there are some who would say, wait a minute. <clears throat> it's a physical kingdom that Jesus is going to establish here on earth. But he's going to establish it once everybody becomes a Christian, voluntarily or forced. Do you remember any time in history where this was the predominant thinking? Okay, inquisitions, crusades. Um, whenever they went in and tried to get rid of you know, the pogroms, the Jews... The thought was, when we make everybody a Christian, then Jesus will come back. And any more modern Christians, we don't think that anymore. Okay? But is there a religious group of a different persuasion that has that same idea? That they need to make everybody follow their, their idea and then they'll introduce their heaven on earth? The Muslims. Okay, part of the jihad idea is similar to what... And, and Christians aren't innocent of the same thought pattern. Christians killed people to rid the world of unbelievers so that <clears throat> when I say Christians, I'm talking very, very vague. In fact, those Christians killed Christians. They have to get rid of all those Bible believers. If you haven't read Fox's Book of Martyrs, I'll say it this time again. Read it. It tells you what happened in the Middle Ages to born-again believers at the hands of Christians. Okay? And, and I'm not saying Christians in being born again. You don't understand what I mean. Okay? Then there are those who say the physical kingdom in which Jesus will rule will, once, will come to earth once we have made the world a better place. And we all, y'all, y'all, Dun, 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 you know, sing Pepsi or Coke or whatever, when, whatever it was. You know. So we, and, and by the way, this is more modern. This is modern politics. This is modern social gospel. This is modern socialism. Okay? With this idea that we have to make the world into a place where everybody becomes one in thought and pattern, and then we get it so that the world comes back. The Catholics have shifted. I'll pick on them for just a second. They shifted from the bottom one, they used to be the third one. But, that, but now they're into the bottom one where everything is social gospel. Uh, and we've got to make everybody one faith, 
which is their faith, and then Jesus can come back. Then there's another thought that says it is a physical kingdom in which Jesus will rule that is brought to earth by Jesus. Man cannot introduce this kingdom. Jesus has to. Take your pick. Which one are you? I didn't put A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever it is. Where, where are you in this strata of what you believe about the kingdom? It's got to be the last one. If you, if you study the Bible, it has to be the last one. Do you give credence to the first one? That there's an aspect of it's, the kingdom is starting in the heart. Yes, okay. And so then, but the physical kingdom that he predicted is definitely man cannot introduce it. In fact, if Jesus doesn't come back, what does Matthew say is going to happen to the world? It's going to destroy itself, okay? And so we have that idea. The simple literal interpretation of the Bible leads us to conclude in a real future physical kingdom on earth implemented by Jesus throughout the Bible. We have all these different ideas. You have the covenants that some of you can study in depth that were made to say to a certain people group that I'm going to give you a kingdom. You know, David's son, Solomon's son, he's going to rule. Which people group got these covenants? The Jews, the Jews, they were given to the Jews. Did anybody ever say, I'm introducing a new covenant? Jesus, when? The Last Supper, he's saying, okay, I'm expanding this kingdom promise to who? To everybody who is participating rightly in communion. Who is that? Christians, the church, okay? And so you have that idea. You have the references in the Old Testament. We can just go through dozens and dozens and dozens of Old Testament passages about the kingdom. Jesus talked about a kingdom that he talks about, you know, the kingdom here on earth is like unto the parables, the talents. You know, even the, the disciples understood he was having a kingdom. Can we sit on, can my son sit on your right hand? You know, who's going to be the chief in the kingdom? When will you bring in your kingdom? And so this kingdom aspect isn't novel to us preaching it today, which some of these folk who are twisting the truth say, well, you Bible believers who believe in dispensationalism and stuff, you're only on the scene a hundred years ago. That's just not true. The Bible talks about a physical kingdom that Jesus is going to set up, even when he said, I'll come again, everything's future. So what is the kingdom going to be like? Well, I'm going fast, so if you have paper, you write this down because I'm not pausing to have us look up references. What we know from the Old Testament, it's going to last, or and the New Testament, it's going to last 1,000 years. Okay, this aspect of the kingdom. Um, and we have no reason to understand it any other way. It's a time when Satan and evil are removed. Okay, that they're taken off. We've already read that. The assumption is if Satan is removed, so is his hordes. And so all of his cronies are taken away. Uh, the spiritual cronies. It's, so it's going to be a time of, of the temptations are at a minimum low. It will be far different in the world in which way? I'm talking planet earth. How will this earth differ then than it does right now? Perfect. Okay, okay. we can just give a whole list of different impact. It'll be a social difference. It'll be a political, a religious. Climate's going to change. Religion's activity, product, health is going to change. 
So when we start breaking it down from the Old Testament, politically, it's going to change drastically. Jerusalem will become the capital of the world in Jesus' kingdom. And the entire world will, the peoples who are in there, are going to pilgrimage at times to Jerusalem to worship Christ who is there ruling in Jerusalem with a rod of iron, which means to you, if he rules with a rod of iron, is, is he lenient? Can you do whatever you want? Okay, so there's going to be authority. Uh, those who are there from the Old Testament, New Testament, we're going to be there. We're going to be assisting him. We are called rulers. And we reign with Christ from different passages that we know. So we're helping him. It's going to be a time of perfect leadership where Jesus Christ will rule and reign with righteousness. He will not be moved by politics, by parties, by finances. What a change from modern world. Okay, that the leadership is not corrupt. Um, as well, there's going to be universal peace in what ways? No more war. Okay, uh, any, other, any other concepts? Okay, animals, there's going to be perfect harmony between them. This is the UN's verse that they publish. Isn't it amazing they can grab this and then deny scripture? But they take this and they think they're the ones helping to bring about the kingdom when there's peace. Um, but there's going to be violence no more, no destruction in your borders. Um, your people are going to, saying to Israel, going to rest in their habitations without any threats to them. There's going to be no criminal activity. Anybody besides me don't want to go into big cities anymore? Okay? I mean, you hear the accounts in the news, you know, that carjackings in Washington, in Georgetown, the best, better section... It's up 134% since summer. It's like, I don't know if we want to go driving through Georgetown. Yeah. In the kingdom, will we have any problem if we're driving? Will we have any problems driving around? No. No fears. Nothing at all. There's going to be a time of a universal language. Which, by the way, if everybody spoke the same language, could that help create harmony? Sure, okay. And so it'd be significant in promoting it. As well, oops, didn't work. There's a time of great prosperity. The desert's going to be blooming. The bread of the increase shall be fat. Uh, and again, if the curse is removed, if we return to an Edenic, uh, Garden of Eden status, what would your garden look like? Okay, okay. We might even be able to grow something. I mean, fake plants die in our house. Yeah. So a time of great prosperity. Famine and hunger. What happens to it? Now, now remember for the people who are just living in the tribulation, what is this like? And for a lot of people living in the world today, what is this like? Yeah. This is like Tiny Tim seeing a huge feast. Okay. So you have this where he talks about there's no hunger, there's no more famine that's taking place. And again, remember, in the, in the tribulation, a third of the vegetation was destroyed early. And then later on, all the rest of the vegetation. So <clears throat> this is quite different. Prosperous labor and productivity. Do you realize what this means, parents of teenagers? Do you know what it means? Your kids are going to work with a cheerful heart for you. Okay, in that sense. That's a miracle. Amen? Okay. 
He says your grain, it's going to be there. It's wonderful in its productivity. And the Jews, they'll build their houses. Nobody else is going to take them away from them. So um, it's even, he even talks about the mountains are going to be really established vineyards. Areas that typically don't grow. A lot of food, a lot of productivity. <clears throat> Which, by the way, tells you something. Will we eat? Will anybody eat in the kingdom? Oh, Okay. Okay, so it says a time of great atmospheric changes. We talk about the moon's going to, the sevenfold increase of the sun. Will that create dangerous conditions if all of a sudden the sun increases? If we return to the idea like the garden of, or the world was before the garden, if there is that canopy around the world, like there was pre-Adenic, uh, uh, I'm sorry, pre, pre-fall world, with a pre-flood, excuse me, pre-flood world, uh, then it's not an issue. There's going to be great harmony in creation. You mentioned this as well. I think, Julie, it was your voice, about the animals getting along. Why is this significant? Why is it significant that in the kingdom animals would get along? You have pets, there's no problem. Why is it significant in the future? What has happened during the tribulation? The animals were killing people, okay? If you remember the very first sealed, uh, the, the very first set of judgments, one-third of mankind died and animals were involved in killing off people. And so it's going to become all of a sudden, it's going to, the world's going to change. The, there's not going to be danger, <clears throat> you know, from the snakes, different things of that. Uh, no beast is going to hurt uh, like they did during that time period. Great inner joy, peace. We read about the idea of people singing and rejoicing, and there's peace. By the way, I've already alluded to it. Are we going to be bored in the kingdom? No, because we're going to be active. We're not going to be sitting on a cloud strumming a harp. I'm sorry, that, that vision of heaven and the kingdom, it's just like, ah. You know how it says a thousand years is a day with the Lord? If I'm sitting on a cloud strumming a heart, it's going to be like a day is a thousand years and Wayne's mine. Okay. But there's going to be activity, productivity. It's going to be great. A time of good health. Okay. How so? Okay. Now, for us, we have glorified bodies. Right? So we're not going to have any problems as far as sickness. So why is it significant? I mean, we're going to say, I'm not sick anymore. We're looking back to what, you know, cancers, different diseases, aches and pains when you just get out of your bed. So that's exciting, but there's more to this. Okay, the people who have gone through, now, now remember, some people, they have lived through the tribulation. They're sheep. Okay, they may have been harmed by the tribulation. They may have been harmed. They're going to be able to go in and they're going to say, hey, you know, I, I don't have any of this problem, any of the difficulties anymore. Then we read this passage that throws, doesn't throw me. I want to make it throw you for a sense. There shall no more be an infant of days nor an old man, for the child will die a hundred years old. What's that mean? Just looking at the phrasing, the idea is we won't consider people's lifespans like when Mike and I, we joke and say we're old men. Okay? I never said that. <sighs> okay, I said it about you. <laughs> okay. And, but 
we will be saying, you know, at that time, Bob, Bob, don't bust on me too much. (laughs) We would be looking at Bob in that time period and say, Bob's just a babe. And Bob right now is what, 29? Thirty-nine, excuse me, you and Jack Benny. Okay, yeah. So we would look at people that are this age group. We would say, they're just kids. They're a baby. Why is that? Because people are going to live a long, long time. Someone 100 years old, Bob, I didn't mean you were 100 years old, okay? So let's not twist that like Mike is twisting my words. (laughs) The uh, people are going to live long, and they won't seem to age like old folk do today. That's this kingdom. We have glorified bodies. This isn't talking about us. It's talking about somebody else. Consider further with this, not everyone in the kingdom is the, perf- is the same perfect age. Okay? There's going to be differences of ages. Some will be babes, some will be old, by how we reckon. There is something else that, you know, that happens. There's babies and infants and children that are in the kingdom. Now, could they be, the babies, infants, children, those who have been slaughtered by abortion? I have no doubt that they're going to be open. Is there another possibility, which, by the way, this passage throws me into a whole other thought pattern. Because if you look at the text, it says a child shall die. A hundred years old. We get glorified bodies. Are we going to die? The Old Testament saints get glorified bodies. Are they going to die again? The people who are who have been martyred, they're resurrected. Okay? They get glorified bodies. Are they going to die? But somebody in the kingdom is dying. Who's dying? If it's not us, in fact, it goes, you know, it goes a little bit further. It says in Isaiah that he will slay the wicked. Does that mean you and I with glorified bodies might turn against Jesus during the kingdom? The resurrected Old Testament saints? The resurrected glorif- the saints that died in the tribulation? Okay, so... How is it that at the end of the thousand years, Satan gets a whole cluster of people to follow him at the end of the thousand years? Where did these, all these people come from? Are they you or me? Okay, so we, we have to say, okay, there's got to be a reason. And does it mean, there's, there's three or four possibilities here. Does it mean some saved people will reject Christ after a while? And we all know that's not going to happen, Okay. It doesn't mean that there's, you know, we're going to turn against him. Do some unsaved people sneak into the kingdom at the very beginning and they rebel later on? No, it can't be. Jesus said that those who try to come in by any other door, you know, they're going to be destroyed. He's the door. He's the way. Or does it mean people are having babies during a thousand years? Yes. Yay! You're going to be pregnant for a thousand years. <laughs> and you go, whoopee. Is that what he's talking about? Now, some religions teach this. 
Some religions teach that when we die and we go to heaven, we're going to keep on propagating babies. And the blessedness for the woman is she's having babies all the time. Yay! How come some of you ladies are going? Okay. So um, there's got to be some sense in these texts. Okay, that that makes sense. And especially, did did I have it down there? Yeah, there it is. Matthew twenty-two thirty. Do you remember what he says when he when they're asking him, um, you know, somebody somebody's been married so many times. Who's I say it backwards sometimes. Is it the wife or the man? I, I forget. Whose spouse will they be in the kingdom? And his response is, Don't you know we neither marry nor are given in marriage, but we shall be like the the angels. Okay. His, the implication is we're not going to be procreating in the, in, in, with the glorified bodies so that we're just having babies all the time. Okay? So, but somebody's having babies, which, by the way, other passages support this idea. They're, they clearly support this. They have the idea their children also shall become as they were aforetime. Remember, only a third of the Jews survive and go into the kingdom. But in the kingdom, he's talking about they're going to expand in that time period. He talks about that, they're, that even the sojourners, which are non-Jews, okay, who reside among you and they have had children among you. He's talking about this kingdom that some Jews some non-Jews are going to be having children. He says, I'll whistle for them, gather them, as many as they were before. Some, their populations are exploding, expanding. You have that idea. When you have multiplied and increased in the land, expansion again of population. When you have the idea that they shall be fruitful and multiply, the idea that they are going to bear children, okay, without the idea they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, which for calamity is given the sense that some interpret it, it's not going to be as painful as the curse had brought upon people. Okay, so their offspring shall be blessed. There's the indication that there's going to be a lot of people born during that time period. They are going to be part of the people who will rebel. Not all of them, but some of them. They are going to be some of the people who died during this period of time. They are the ones who the infants will be, uh, I'm sorry, the 100-year-old is going to be called but a kid. Others are going to live hundreds and hundreds of years old. So old age is going to become like it was in the Old Testament at the very, very beginning. Who's having all these babies? There's no specific verse that says it. There's no passage that gives clarification other than we're not going to be like the angels. We're not going to be procreating. Okay, that says, well, who's not? So who enters the kingdom without a resurrection body that their bodies are restored to good health and they can make babies for a thousand years? Who are these people? Yeah, yeah, the answer is got to be one of these people groups, okay? It's not us. We have resurrection bodies. Not Old Testament. It's not the martyred ones. It's got to be the last group. It's got to be the sheep who were said, you can come into the kingdom, who lived, and they enter into the kingdom, and they have these children. And then their children have children. And you think about it for a second with me. If there is no curse on the earth, no curse on the childbearing, how many kids could you have in a thousand years? Think what your Christmas gift, gift list would look like. Okay, so they're living long lives. 
They don't have to be concerned about food cost, doctor's bills, education. The curse is removed, so there's no health risk to the mom. Society's not a scary place. I mean, how many kids could somebody have? And then how many kids could they have? And how many kids could they have? And we're talking a thousand years. You could, you could have a, 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 you know, a, a population explosion within a thousand years. Easily. Easily. And so the idea is, you know, this helps us to understand why God in the millennium, ruling with a rod of iron, there's a flying scroll that, now I'm going to pick on you because you picked on me, the flying scroll, if you were born during that time period and you got out of line, the flying scroll would come and get you back in line. Or, okay, there could be the idea of death upon the person who is really rebelling because Jesus is ruling with a rod of iron during this time period. And so it helps us to understand that Old Testament concept that there will be some disobedience, there will be some possible rebellion. Again, it's minimal during the millennium. There will be some who aren't saved and they need to be taught. What do we do during that time? We get to teach. We get to witness to them and say, you know, you know who Jesus is, but you know, here's what he did for you. And trying to bring them to the out, uh, the out but, they, but outwardly, the, the people, even those being born at that time, outwardly they will obey or suffer consequences. Most will obey. They will conform. They can easily conform, but do they get converted? That's the question. Do they get saved? Even in a perfect environment, can people, can people do wrong? Adam and Eve... And what do these people who are being burned, uh, being burned, being born, what do they have that Adam and Eve didn't start out with? They still have a sin nature that's being passed on. They have a sin nature. Is it as rampant as it is now? No. Satan's out of the way. Temptation is less. The influence is different. But do they still need to be, be born again? Yes. Okay. Let's pick up there next time. Thank you, thank you, thank you, you young hundred, you you, you babies, you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Everybody heard I called them babies. Okay.